Welcome to the Neighborhood Church Podcast. We are so thankful that you are listening in. The Neighborhood Church is all about helping people find and follow Jesus. We hope that through these podcasts you are encouraged, that you're inspired, and that you're provided with practical wisdom on how to find and follow Jesus. We hope that you enjoy today's podcast. Do you ever like think as you're going along your life that things haven't quite turned out the way you thought they would? Like you had a plan and you're trying to like go toward the plan, but the plan doesn't really end up happening and you kind of look back and you're like, how did I get here? And in some cases you might think, how did I get here? I made so many bad choices. Or you might think like, wow, I'm so glad that God brought me to this place. Because for me, it's the second one. Um, For as long as I can remember, um, I have always thought that I would be uh, talking about God, teaching people about God. Um, No matter what was going on in my life, I could always close my eyes and I would see this picture of me and I would be wherever, there was no location, but it would be me in front of people teaching them about God, and no matter what went on in my life, I could close my eyes, and I knew that was where I was going. And there were times in my life where I thought I wouldn't get there, and here I am on my 25th birthday. I couldn't believe it when Pastor John asked me to speak, because I I knew it. I knew where God was taking me, and on my birthday, Pastor John said, hey, do you want to teach about this? I know you're really passionate about it. And I was just like blown away. So I'm here and my life hasn't turned out exactly like I thought. But on the other hand, it's kind of turned out exactly like I saw because I trusted God, right? And we're going to talk about God's sovereignty tonight. And and I I share this story with you because um, on the one hand, it's crazy that exactly where I thought I would be or exactly what I thought I could be doing in the you know, deepest recesses of my heart is where God has taken me. And I want to tell you tonight that if you have dreams in your heart, that that's available to you too. God has placed those things there, and as you walk in obedience, he takes you there. So it's not surreal. It's not all that surprising that I'm here on my 25th birthday doing what God has called me to do, because in his sovereignty, he has opened unexpected doors. He has opened random doors and and given me access to just the most wild opportunities that I could have never planned for myself because I've committed my life to his purposes. And that's what God's sovereignty is, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. It's God's ability to direct, to guide, and to purpose someone who seeks to follow his path. So God's sovereignty, there's a definition on the screen. It's God's ultimate lordship and rule over the universe so that the divine will, his will, is supreme over all else. This will is known most fully in Jesus Christ, who expressed God's way in self-giving service. He came down from heaven, didn't think of equality with God was something to be grasped, right? But, you know, humbled himself to the point of death. And the will of God is not conditioned or bound by any other power and thus exists as the supreme and sovereign reality over all else. But in saying that, I know for me, I've often struggled with the sovereignty of God. First of all, I couldn't pronounce sovereignty for the longest time or spell it. And second of all, it bothered me, like genuinely bothered me, that there was something I just needed to accept that there was a spiritual being out in the cosmos who somehow had the divine will to drive humanity in a certain direction and in the meantime sits on a throne while we're all down here doing who knows what. 
And I've heard people say God is sovereign countless times over the years and for a variety of different reasons, and I've read it in scripture, it's all over the place, but I'm, I was always left with the impression that we say God is sovereign almost as a cop-out for life's hard questions, and we don't actually try to inspect what the reality of God's sovereignty um, and how it should affect our life. We don't, we don't inspect it. We just kind of live it, think it, breathe it, whatever, but we don't actually try to apply it. And somehow we think that as long as God or something is up there in the cosmos and who is probably on a throne and it says that he's sovereign, everything's just going to be okay. And we can tune out the bad news because God's just going to take care of it one day uh, because he's sovereign and he's the judge and I don't need to do anything about it. That has been what has bothered me about God's sovereignty. And that just doesn't make any sense, does it? Um, because God's sovereignty, if God is who he says he is and what the Bible says he is, it should, prom- it should prompt me to selfless activity like it did for Jesus, right? God's sovereignty shouldn't just be this high and lofty concept where like he's over the cosmos, he's over the universe, I don't need to do anything because God's on the throne. That's actually not true. It should prompt me to selfless activity and not complacency. And I know that I can't be the only one who has struggled with this. I'd be willing to bet, don't know what, but willing to bet that there are people here tonight who aren't sure what to do with God's sovereignty either, or even understand what it means. And I think we've all faced the struggle to some degree that God can be just a little bit complicated to figure out, especially in the face of all the trauma and evil in the world. And I think we all recognize to some degree the work it can take to really like stop and think about God too. It's like, who has time for that? When you're so busy all the time, how like God just doesn't play a huge, huge role in our thoughts because it takes effort to think through scripture and to think about God and to think about theology, which is why I'm here to do it for you. <laughs> just kidding. That's a joke. Everyone has to do it. And sometimes uh, we, we don't do the work And sometimes we do cop out, and we are satisfied with the verses that say God is on the throne and he's reigning, Uh, and we're satisfied when we read that God will one day judge the world, and and we don't do any more thinking about that. And honestly, sometimes I think that's a little bit fair. Everyone has so much going on in their lives all the time. It's just so easy to place it on the back burner. And we can be tempted to think because of that, well, God's sovereign, there's a divine will, it's going to work out. I don't really know what the will is. I don't know what the sovereignty is, but it doesn't really affect me that much because I'm just so busy and then we're done. Or on the other hand, sometimes we're actually so passionate about understanding God and his sovereignty and his will, we just, but we just don't have the right resources to actually learn about it or understand it, and so we get discouraged and we give up. But that's why we're here tonight together as a community to talk through this stuff because it's important. And here together tonight, we don't have to do the heavy lifting of learning about God all on our own. We're going to do it together. Because the sovereignty of God affects how we see the world in relation to God and in relation to each other. And I think we truly, truly want to believe that God is sovereign, that God does have a will in all of this senseless evil we see around us, and that something good is truly going to come out of this earth. But we see a mountain of evidence that says God's not involved in the world, that his sovereign will doesn't exist because there's so much evil around us. And if there truly is a God who is sovereign, then his sovereignty's not doing much, and we're probably better off without him. That's what we can be tempted to think, and that is what a lot of people 
will say. But again, that's why we're here. We've got resources here tonight to help us figure this out. God's word has everything we need, so we're going to go through a whole bunch of scripture to understand his sovereignty. We're going we're gonna to talk about uh, God's omniscience and his omnipresence and omnipotence, uh, and we're going, to, we're going to do our best. But as long as people have believed in God, they've been talking about this stuff. So I'm not going to solve all the world's problems in the next 20 minutes, but I'm willing to bet that by the end of this, we're going to have a lot more hope for the future. And that's what's important. So to help us understand the sovereignty of God a little bit better tonight, let's walk through the three O's and, and understand God a bit better. This was, this was given to me by Pastor John. He's really passionate about us learning this uh, while he's gone. So God's omnipotence. We're going to start there. Essentially, God's omnipotence boils down to mean that God is all-powerful. I think we've all heard that before. And the consensus of the church, at the very least, is that God can do all things that are logically possible. So I uh, don't watch The Simpsons, but I know there's a Simpsons quote, so I'm going to share it, but I don't want to be a fraud, so I'm just going to tell you I don't watch The Simpsons. But Homer Simpson asks Ned Flanders, my, one of my theology professors told me this in his class, and he says, Homer asks Ned, would God microwave a burrito so hot he couldn't eat it? <laughs> and Ned doesn't know what to do. But I'm here to tell you that the answer is no. God will not microwave a burrito so hot he couldn't eat it. And he will not make a rock so heavy that he can't lift it. God will not do those types of things. That's not the point of his omnipotence. His omnipotence does all that can logically be done. And his ability to do all those things does not conflict in any way with his will or with his knowledge. His power is limited only by his own nature, but not by anything else. Kind of clear as mud there. So we see examples of this in scripture. Uh, Job 42 verse 2 says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And in Jesus, or in Jesus, in Matthew, Jesus says, um, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And in Mark, he says it again, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And in Luke, one says again, nothing is impossible with God. And later on, Jesus says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And the Apostle Paul tells us that God's power has been made clear through his creation, where since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. And just a few verses earlier, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile, which is us. So when we look at omnipotence in modern times without the scriptural context, lots of people tend to resist this idea uh, of an all-powerful God. And I think that's due to the fact that people are just done with uh, iron fist authoritative regimes that take everything from people and don't give anything back. But we know that God's not like that, right? When we hear of God's omnipotence, we should resist uh, thinking of, in Ethan's word, a tyrannical sky wizard, I told him I would use that, um, who imposes his will or, uh, on anyone at any time because that's just not how it works. There is no sky wizard. Ethan says, hallelujah, amen. God's omnipotence is not some mysterious power that makes life hard for people. 
or that makes God unapproachable or inaccessible. His omnipotence is actually like displayed through creation, throughout the world, and throughout humanity, and is especially displayed in the cross of Christ and the resurrection. His omnipotence, his like all-powerfulness, his almightiness, enables him to make life where there was death, to bring light to dark places, and to bring order out of chaos. All God does, he does within his divine will, and his divine will is to bring salvation to everyone who believes. So we have to readjust our thinking of God's power. God's omnipotence does not enable God to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. I think that's a truth we all need to hear. Stop blaming God, he just doesn't do whatever he wants, when he wants. God's powerful actions are always acts in accordance to his will uh, and to his purposes for humanity and the world, which, like I just said, is salvation to all who believe. And I think we also have to remember, too, that God himself resides in us. His power is in us because of the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us, lives in you, to accomplish the work that God needs accomplished. So when we don't see God work in our lives or in our world, perhaps we need to start asking ourselves, what can I be doing? What should I be doing? What haven't I, be do- what haven't I been doing for God's purposes? But God's power won't supersede the sovereignty of your own choices when you're not making choices uh, in accordance to his will. God has given us free will, and yes, he is sovereign, reigning over the cosmos, but he's also granted sovereignty to you to make your own decisions. And he's not going to stop you. Yeah, he's all-powerful, but he's not going to stop you. God's omnipotence coexists with our freedom of choice, and we're free to choose and to make our decision, and as a result, the world is affected by human decisions and ambitions. Again, stop blaming God. God, in his power, grants us freedom to live and move and choose. And this God, with all the power at his disposal, does not use his power to crush us or to destroy us, but seeks to save us through the gospel so that we no longer live under the reign of sin and death and darkness. And as Ethan would say, it's time to say goodbye to the tyrannical sky wizard and say hello to a God who is compassionate, to a God who is long-suffering, to a God of charity, of gentleness, of love, and of justice. God's power doesn't come in the form of a hammer that's just going to drop. There is no hammer that's going to drop. Some of us really believe that God is angry at us, but his power is not going to come in the form of a hammer that's going to drop on you. God's power comes in the form of salvation and through the uh, form of conquering death and sin. That's the truth about God's omnipotence. God's power is meant to save you. It's not meant to to condemn you. His power doesn't strong-arm people into obedience. It's his loving kindness that brings us to repentance. You're not going to come to God and be met with shame or condemnation you're going to come to God and you're going to find relief for your souls because that's what God's omnipotence offers you. So God is sovereign in part because he is omnipotent and that power, that omnipotence, is bent on bringing freedom, redemption, full life, abundant life, and love to those who follow God. His spirit is at work in the world to correct wrongs, to bind up the brokenhearted, and to give hope 
to the hopeless. That is God's omnipotence. So next, we talk about omnipresence. We're done with omnipotence for now, and we're moving on. So essentially, God's omnipresence means that he's present everywhere in the cosmos, and that all things in the cosmos are present to him. So think the whole expanse of universe, think us in this room, think animals in the forest and fish in the sea, everything is present to him. And again, there's lots of scripture to support this. Jeremiah 23 describes that God is present even in secret places. Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. And Proverbs 15 says, The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good, implying that God's omnipresence is concerned, like God is concerned about human good and evil. And 1 Kings says, uh, But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Solomon built the temple. And Colossians describes God holding all of reality together. He is before all things, and in him, as in Jesus, all things hold together. And in the Psalms, it says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for the darkness is as light with you. And finally, in Matthew, Jesus explains that God will meet you even in a closed, behind closed doors in private. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. With these verses, we see that, like, literally, there is nowhere you can go, there is nowhere in creation that doesn't contain God's presence. God's presence is everywhere, from right in this room to the furthest corner of the universe to your bedrooms when you go home tonight. God's presence is there, upholding everything, making sure that things stay in order. He is immense, and he is inescapable. His power and his presence enable him to make order out of things that are chaotic. His presence is what sustains us. He not only brings us into existence, but upholds us as we live. And because he's everywhere and because he's all-powerful, he's got this infinite attention span and pays attention to the details and he pays attention to our thoughts of what we go through, um, of what the world goes through, because it's not too much for him. But sometimes the reality of God's constant presence can be a little bit hard to take in. Sometimes we might think of God constantly be, being present and, and be tempted to feel or actually feel shame or condemnation for our choices and our actions. Or we might feel afraid at the prospect of being surrounded with no escape. Or we maybe just try to avoid the thought of God's omnipresence for the sake of easing our day-to-day struggling with that reality and its effect on our life. Sometimes we're afraid of it. But God is not, hear me, he is not an always present micromanager. He's not caught up with shaking his head at what you're doing or nodding his head at what you're doing. Uh, He's just, he's not that worried about it. His continual presence and attention is a blessing of peace 
and comfort and support. Of course, he's concerned about sin in our life because it keeps us from him, but the presence of God never brings condemnation for those who are in Christ. When you feel ashamed, you're feeling something that is not God. The reality of God's presence in your life is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you're in Christ Jesus and you're feeling ashamed about something, that is the enemy trying to keep you from the fullest potential of your relationship with God. God's ever-present Holy Spirit is not one of condemnation, but of conviction and opportunity and grace. His presence is a promise to never be deserted, to never be alone, and to never be hopeless. God's presence is meant to heal, encourage, and transform. So I'm telling you tonight, if you don't believe these things about God's presence, you are not reaping the full benefits of your relationship with God. There is only goodness in store for you here. So that's omnipresence. We've done omnipotence, we've done omnipresence, and now we're moving into omniscience. So God's omniscience essentially means that he knows all that can be known at any given time. That's the general consensus of the church. There is some debate to how much God truly knows, if it's exhaustive or if it's open or whatever, uh, but we can rest assured that God knows all that can be known, and it's a lot more than we could ever know. His knowledge is perfect and complete for what his purposes require. Hebrews says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. In Isaiah 40, Isaiah says, Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? And in the Psalms, it says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. And Job says, Can anyone teach knowledge to God since he judges even the highest? And the Psalms again say, He determines the number of stars and calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. And the Apostle Paul says in Romans, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgment and his paths beyond tracing out. And Jesus says in Matthew, And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So we can rest assured that God's knowledge makes him secure and in control. His sovereignty can be displayed in his omniscience because he knows what to do, how to do it, and when to do it. He knows all the details, and it's not just facts and data, which of course he knows since he's responsible for creation, but it's also intimate knowledge of us. He is familiar with us. He knows us. When we feel distance from God, it's actually a gap that we've initiated and nurtured because he is never unfamiliar with us, but we can be unfamiliar with him. And God's knowledge also isn't completely linear. So when you got up today, you got to choose what shirt you wore, what you ate, and what time you decided to leave for church, unless you're a child in which your parents probably decided for you. But still, they had the free choice to choose for you. There are multiple paths in front of you each day, and God's knowledge includes them all. His knowledge is not a linear, straight path. 
his, his knowledge isn't something that like controls us. Our free will does work in accordance with God's omniscience because it's not just an assembly line of predetermined choices that we think we're making, but God has actually made for us. It doesn't work like that. God knows all the clothes in your closet and can probably guess what you're going to wear, of course, if you want to get that detailed about it. And he knows that there's probably some vegetables rotting in your fridge somewhere, so you're probably not going to eat those. And he's familiar with your little bad habit of showing up to a church 15 minutes late. But the point is, your choices are your own. And because God is present, he is familiar with all our ways. So even if they're, you're not eating your vegetables and you're coming to church late, he's still familiar and those choices, uh, familiar with you and those choices are your own. And I just want to say too that God is not surprised by your choices or your sin. And this should encourage us because there's nothing that we need to run away from when God already knows it all. Yes, we need to confess our sins, but as Pastor John said last Easter, uh, when we confess our sins to God, God is faithful to forgive us and then he doesn't bring it up again. So yes, God knows what you've done, and he's going to convict you if there's sin in your life, but when you confess and repent, it's gone. He doesn't bring it up again, and he doesn't use it against you, even if he knows everything. So I want you to hear that tonight. God's knowledge of you does not hinder his love for you, no matter what you've done. And I, I don't know who needs to hear that tonight, but somebody does. There is no love meter with God. No matter what you've done, God knows it all, and his love for you stays constant through it all. Now, in all these things, I think we're still left with some unanswered questions. We all have thought, probably, at least once in our lives, God, if you love me, how could you let this happen? Or, God, if you knew this was going to happen, why didn't you stop it? These are big allegations, and I think they're real, like, honest allegations that we need to address, especially when we claim that our God is all-powerful and in control and reigning over the cosmos. We, need, we, don't, we don't need to be afraid of these kinds of questions because in the face of evil and tragedy, they're naturally going to come up. But I just need to clear the air here, and I really need you all to hear me when I say this, that God does not pre-plan tragedy, and he does not pre-plan evil, and he does not pre-plan disease, and he does not pre-plan your hurt. There is no pre-planning there that could hurt you. Yes, God knows all things that can be known because he's omniscient, but when a plane takes off and somebody strikes it down, that is the sole responsibility of the evil one, of Satan. We, as people living on a planet that has fallen, are still subject to the realities of sin and evil. But sin and evil are not God's realities. You need to hear that. They're Satan's realities. So when people come to you and they start blaming God for all the horrible things in the world, and they are horrible, they're horrible, but they're not God's fault. And the, and the good that can come out of evil and trauma and whatever is solely because God is sovereign and reigning over the cosmos. That is the only hope and the only relief for those things. So when you encounter people in your life that says, how could God let this happen to me? You tell them, God did not plan for that. God did not preordain that. There is one thing that God has preordained for you, and it's good works. So I want to read this from John 10, just so that we hear the truth about Jesus. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. 
If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. The thief is the enemy. The thief is Satan. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And when we see the real reality of things that are stolen and things that are destroyed and, and things that are killed. It is not the reality of God. It is the reality of this world. Ephesians 6:12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So when evil things happen or we're confronted with questions that seek to dishonor God's integrity in it all, we have to remember that God is not responsible for evil. There is active opposition to God's goodness and to God's kingdom work all the time. And it's not God's fault. So please hear me tonight. I really just want to say this again, that God does not pre-plan your trauma. It was not preordained before the foundations of the world because he knew you before time began. He does not pre-plan murder and violence and disease and illness. There is one thing, like I said, that we can be sure of, and it's that God has pre-planned good works for his people to do. Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. We're meant to walk in good works. And that doesn't mean that we're exempt from the realities of sin and evil in the world. That doesn't mean we're free from disease and we're free from tragedy and we're free uh, from the consequences of evil. But it's not God that does those things. It is the reality of living in a fallen world. And Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So the fact that anything good can come out of evil and can come out of pain and out of trauma is a testament to God's sovereignty, is a testament to his uh, omnipotence, to his omnipresence, and to his omniscience. He is the only source of relief from it all because he's sovereign. And that's why I'm telling you that there's no hammer that's going to drop. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because God's sovereignty enables him to divinely act in accordance with his will. And his will is for us to know his voice and to give us a light burden and an easy yoke that is free from religious obligation and to find rest for our souls. That is his will. Everything else 
is a reality that is true and real and deeply felt, but it is not from God. It is the result of living in a fallen world. So maybe you're here tonight and you're overwhelmed by all the trauma that's gone on in your life. Or maybe you're here and you've suffered a terrible loss that was unexpected and not right. Or maybe you're here tonight and you're pumped about God's sovereignty, but it's never prompted you to walk in the good works that he has for you. And maybe you're just trying to figure out your place in God's kingdom as you work in the secular workplace. Maybe it's your mental health that overwhelms you and it feels like a bottomless pit that you can't climb out of. And maybe you're here tonight and your life is full of chaos. There is hope for you here tonight because God is sovereign. And in his sovereignty, he wants to make your path straight. He wants to bring order to chaos if you let him. And he wants to shine light in the dark places of your life because it's not too much for him. It is not too dark. Darkness is like light to him. It is not going to be too much. Anything that hinders you from coming to God is the enemy seeking to hinder God's kingdom advancement. So God's sovereignty reminds us that he is close at hand, that he sees us, that he understands us, and because he is familiar with us. He is always here, always knows us, and is always ready um, to lend a helping hand. And there's not just hope here tonight. There is hope for the rest of the week, for the rest of the month, for the rest of 2020, because all of these things I'm telling you are true. And they're true whether you feel them or not. So the reality of these attributes of God is amazing because whatever you're going through, you can stop and you can pray and you can say, God, I don't really feel like you're all powerful right now. I don't really see you in my life right now. I don't know if you know what's going on right now, but the Bible says that you do and I choose to believe that. And so God, I just commit all of this stuff to you because only you can bring goodness out of it. There is all the hope that you could ever hope for tonight because God is sovereign. There is no challenge too insurmountable for his power, no choice too offensive for him to turn away from you, and no place that you can hide from his presence. And so for a minute here, I want you to picture a world with me where the church lives like God is sovereign, where they start treating people truly without shame and condemnation, and where people are embraced and accepted because they've been embraced and accepted by Jesus, where the knowledge of the sovereignty of God actually prompts us to act in a way that is selfless and holy and glorifying to God. Like, what would it be like? What would society be like? And what would our church, the neighborhood church, be like if we dropped all the drama, all the judgment, and just asked God to make us a little bit more like Christ? I want us to know tonight that it is possible for us to stand firm in the face of adversity and in the face of evil and in the face of trauma and in the face of pain and in the face of disease because there is nothing too insurmountable. There is no challenge too tough. I want us to walk away tonight believing that to be true because I can picture a church like that. I can picture a church where we do believe that God is omnipotent, that we do believe that he is familiar with us and knows us and knows the people that walk through our doors, right? the guests, the people who don't know him yet, he knows them. I want a church like that. We are so thankful that you've listened in to the Neighborhood Church Podcast. If you have questions or comments about what you've heard, we would love to hear from you. Go to the podcast description and follow the link to get in touch with us. Everything we do would not be possible without your generosity. 
If you would like to give, check out that same link in the podcast description. If you have enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.